Hey, the podcast today. Good one, Stu? Yes. Really good. Very good, yeah. Really good. Cheryl Atkinson is uh, with us. Uh, Barry Loudermilk, he is the uh, congressman from Georgia. He gives us an update on what's happening in Georgia. By the way, if you missed last night's TV show, I went over the candidates in Georgia for the Senate. Holy cow. I'm going to go over them on radio tomorrow and on the podcast tomorrow. But oh my gosh, they are so extreme. So extreme. And I was surprised to hear an appearance today by Andrew Cuomo. Yeah, uh, he which was, was on the show. Wow. That yeah. was... <laughs> It was uh, it was really, really good. Andrew Cuomo, you don't want to miss it. And we also talk about uh, Nancy Pelosi. She's going to be Speaker of the House again. And more Yay. importantly, more importantly, mm-hmm. back in stock for the Christmas season. Shut up. It's true. Nancy Pelosi pens. Yes, Nancy Pelosi sucks pen.com is the place you can go. Uh, an exact replica of her of the pen Nancy Pelosi used to sign the impeachment papers, except for the fact that after her signature, it says sucks. Uh, right, get, but it's in her own handwriting. It is in her own so handwriting. It's beautiful. Nancy Pelosi sucks pen.com. It's available. I know they have a limited supply, so if you want to get one for Christmas. Oh, 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 oh. I've got elves that stock the shelves. With Nancy Pelosi sucks pen. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Nancy Pelosi sucks pen.com. All on today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Barry Loudermilk on uh, from Georgia. I did a special last night uh, on the uh, the the Georgia revote. Now it's happening. What is it? January fifth or fifth? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's for all of the marbles. All of the marbles. If the Republicans only win one, you're going to lose Mitt Romney. I mean, you know, hey, we should take guns away. Mitt's there. He's like, yeah. Yeah, Murkowski Collins. Yeah, I mean, y- you lose one, and you're at a tie, and then Kamala. You have to have both of them, and even then, it's risky. If we lose these uh, two Senate seats in Georgia, I, I, there's nothing holding them back from changing everything. Barry Loudermilk is uh, with us now. Hi, Barry. Glenn, how are you doing? Good, Congressman from uh, Georgia. Uh, first of all, uh, give me a give me a rundown on what's happening in Georgia with the recount and the Trump case. Well, you know, the recount was going back and doing a hand recount. We have machine voting in Georgia, which you go up to the electronic machine, you you make your choice, then it prints a hand a hard copy ballot. This is the first major election we've had that has had that option, which I fought for for years to be able to have a hard copy ballot. So that that hard copy comes out of the machine. You look at it, you verify, yes, these are the people I voted for. Uh, then they run it through a counting machine and it goes into a box. So part of the hand recount was not just taking the electronic total, but actually counting those ballots. The good news out of that was the, the uh, in-person voting uh, that the machines produced was accurate. There wasn't uh, some vote switching on that part. And the reason that's such good news is because the majority of Trump voters came out and voted in person, either early or on Election Day. So, And is that the, uh, the Dominion machine, system? That That is a Dominion system. That's good and news. So, Yeah, so the good news is the Dominion system did work. The issue we're having is with the absentee ballots. Now, the recount is going to go through... 
Trump is going to cut into Biden's lead when it comes out, uh, but it's not going to put Trump back on top because they're just counting these ballots. Now, we do have now these mostly are absentee ballots that went from Biden. I mean, it, <laughs> unbelievable number. And when I say unbelievable, I mean an unbelievable number of absentee ballots went to Biden. And so the issue is going to be challenging. Were any of those ballots illegal or fraudulent? And so we're actually having some people, some people I personally know, have filed affidavits saying that they have seen boxes of ballots that were pristine. These are absentee ballots. In other words, they had never been folded to where they would have been going into an envelope. Um, There were no creases. And in fact, the uh, where you fill out the little bubble for your choice was so perfect, it appeared, now I'm just quoting what they're saying, appeared that it may have been run through a printer or a machine. So we do have oh, several counts of that going through. So, And I talked to some people today who said, yes, these people have filed affidavits. And I, I personally know one of them, and she is not a conspiracy type person. And so uh, there's numbers of those. And that's the trick is getting to those ballots so we can actually, and and I'm not just saying this so Trump will win. I think it's it's extremely important that Trump gets another four years, but it's more important that we have an election system of integrity. Yeah, we have to trust it. That's the most important thing. Okay, so so, um, I don't know if you uh, saw our, uh, our messages yesterday. But we know that the whistleblower has come forward in a sworn affidavit detailing a clerical error at the polling center in DeKalb County. Um, He says over a thousand votes were given to Biden that shouldn't have. Um, And it's, uh, you know, it's one thing to hear about him and another thing to hear him right straight from the people that saw it. Uh, Two questions on this. Uh, One of my researchers went and was poking around and just seeing what he had said, et cetera, and found it incredibly easy to unmask this uh, whistleblower uh, and uh, and his address and everything. And I think that is, I think he's in danger. Is there a way to protect this guy's identity? Because the state's not doing it. Right. And, and there needs to be, because back when all the riots were happening, uh, we had somebody, you know, the term doxing. I had my home address doxed by someone. Right. And so uh, fortunately, they didn't get it exactly right. But we do know some of those nefarious people with various groups were trying to figure out where I live. When and, and, you know, to an element, unfortunately, you have to expect that when you're in a position such as I'm in or you're in, you know, that is very public. But when a citizen who simply needs to do their civic duty um, gets, could get that kind of threat, yes, we have to be able to protect these people in, in one way or the other. And that's something that I think the, the state legislature is going to have to look at. In the meantime, I think um, you know, law enforcement is going to have to provide some level of protection to them. The problem is if you're in a strongly Democrat-run county with a Democrat sheriff, oh, no. in, in today's day and time, you just can't trust that. And I hate to say that, but... It's uh, it, we're that divided right now as a nation. All right. Let's go to the Georgia secretary of state. This is a uh, a Republican. Uh, he spoke to NPR yesterday about the vote recount and the Senate runoff elections. He says Lindsey Graham pressured him to reject absentee ballots. He said it's clear from his conversation with Graham that Trump and Graham don't understand the laws in Georgia. 
Uh, Loeffler and Purdue have demanded his resignation. What's happening with this guy? Uh, I really don't know. <laughs> it's, um, uh, he came out yesterday and called uh, Congressman Doug Collins, a colleague of mine, a friend of mine. He's a very uh, one of one of the people that I have a lot of admiration for. Called him a liar, and I think that's unbecoming of a uh, of, uh, somebody in his position to to get to that level. I saw some of the things uh, or some of the statements that uh, Lindsey Graham made, and I don't interpret them the way that the Secretary of State does. I, what I saw Lindsey Graham saying is, "We want you to do your job and investigate." these allegations of fraudulent voting. We have to know, look, you can't get evidence until you investigate. And I think part of the frustration is people are coming out saying there's no evidence of broad, widespread fraud. Well, you don't know because you haven't investigated. You don't get evidence until you investigate. You get uh, circumstantial evidence or some probable cause. I mean, there's plenty of that out there. We have affidavits. Well, you can't get to the hard empirical evidence until you investigate. And I think that's what Lindsay was getting at is, look, we want you to put politics aside and want you to get down to the, you know, the, to the bare knuckles of hardcore investigating because we have to be able to trust this. And as you said earlier, the future, the future of this nation is riding on the back of two Senate races in Georgia right now. We have to get it right. So we're looking at what the polls say, and I don't know if I believe polls, but what the polls say is a dead heat between Americans and Marxists. Uh, I did a special last night that's up on YouTube or on Blaze TV. You have to watch it. Um, to get some perspective of who these people are that are running against the Republicans. I mean, one of them is absolutely Jeremiah Wright, just Jeremiah Wright. Um, And uh, is is it really tied? Is it that close? How do you know? I mean, I had a national pollster that is, is, is in the conservative realm sitting in my office yesterday, and he basically said, we did a terrible job polling. And it's we, they don't know how to poll. In fact, he said, well, the problem is the Trump voters wouldn't talk to us. Well, what do you expect? <laughs> you know? yeah. It's like they, we underpolled the Trump supporters because we don't know who they are. And I mean, there was a lot of excuses. The pollsters can't get this right. And if you think there was distrust before oh. the presidential election, there is going to be more distrust of pollsters and major news outlets now than there was before. And I mean, uh, you know, I think you're going to see a resurgence of people uh, going to news sites like The Blaze and uh, Newsmax and some others away from some of the more traditional that we considered uh, conservative. Yeah. Can you assure the American people that this next election in Georgia is going to be safe, monitored, counted right? I desperately want to do that, Glenn. I've got to see how how desperate our Secretary of State wants that to be as well and how much effort we're going to put in fighting this. I believe there is going to be. Uh, there's, uh, And I've talked to some members of the Georgia legislature who want to act quickly to make some changes, but they're not going to apply to this election. The only way that we're going to know that this election is conducted honestly and with integrity with with a lot of people having access to monitor the election process and we got to have more than we did before good citizens who care about this nation who who care less about the outcome 
than they do an honest election system. And you're actually you're absolutely right. Both of the, the Democrats running for uh, Senate, they are socialist Marxists. In fact, the one you were talking about who is idolizes um, Reverend Wright as a prophet recently came out and said that abortion aligns with Christian values. It's biblical. I'm like, I can't find that in the Bible. No, I don't. <laughs> he also says uh, Jesus was a Marxist, so, you know, he was for socialism, so, and a Palestinian. He wasn't a Jew. He was a Palestinian. Um, uh, Barry, I appreciate it. Well, one last thing, just a personal note. Uh, we we know how to contact the the whistleblower, but we don't want to freak them out. We can protect their identity, but we'd love to share that story uh, from the horse's mouth with voice disguising, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Would you mind uh, reaching out so it's not a scary thing and just seeing if there's an interest so we can call them? Because, again, we don't want to freak them out. Right. Yeah, we'll be glad to work with you on that, Glenn, to see what we can get. And um, I'm hoping, I'm working on some other, I can't divulge what it is right now, but there are some other uh, recordings that may be of interest for us to get out as well. Mm. But we'll be glad, we'll be glad to work with you on that. Yeah, good. Thank you. Barry Loudermilk, uh, Congressman from Georgia. Appreciate it, Barry. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Glenn. Keep up the good work. If you are ready for some really great news, keep listening. Built Bar is back, and it is unbelievable. If you've been listening to my show this year, I love Built Bars. Uh, It's an all-American story. This is a client I asked to be on the show because I didn't listen to my wife again, and she's been telling me about it, but it has protein bar on it, and those always taste like a doormat. This is unbelievable. The mint brownie flavor? Oh, yes, baby. It is life-changing. The new bars taste better than ever. In addition to the 12 original flavors, Built Bar just added cookies and cream, carrot cake, caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, apple almond crisp. I mean, it's just, it's great. Built Bar, delicious, nutritious, high protein, low calorie, high fiber, low carbs, 100% real chocolate, and 100% really good. Plus, they've reset the code for this new launch right now go to builtbar.com use the promo code back get ten dollars off your first order promo code back builtbar.com you're listening to the best of the glenn beck program Justin, my man, how are you? I'm doing great, Glenn. How are you? Uh, Well, I was doing better when I was apparently living in a fantasy world that America was rejecting socialism. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I actually think that the the 2020 election was there, there is a lot of really positive stuff that came from that without question. And I think that in many moderate districts, And I think that in obviously in conservative districts, they still are rejecting socialism. But what we're seeing, what I think the research that we're about to discuss shows very clearly is that in the Democratic strongholds, socialists are taking over. The far left is taking over and that isn't just a theory anymore. I think there's real data behind it. I mean, when you look at the list you compiled, you look at Connecticut. Good heavens. It's going to become the Soviet Union soon. Um, I, I, <laughs> yeah. 
I, I, I want to go over how you picked who was a Marxist socialist. You based it on uh, people that were endorsed by our revolution, Democratic Socialists of America and Progressive Democrats of America. Tell me who these three organizations are. Right. Well, these, these are three of the largest, very far left organizations. They're, they're all well-funded. Democratic Socialists of America, that's the largest socialist organization in the United States. They're not a political party. They're a, a socialist uh, organization that helps with fundraising and helps with getting candidates passed, and they hold conventions and do stuff like that. Our revolution was started by Bernie Sanders and people from the Bernie Sanders presidential campaign from 2016 to help win more progressive seats in Congress, um, and they've expanded their efforts out into the states. And Progressive Democrats of America, they've been around um, since the early 2000s doing very similar kinds of things. These are the, this is the AOC crowd. I think people need to think of it like that. Yeah, in order to be endorsed by one of these groups, you have to support the Green New Deal, Medicare for All, those kinds of policies. Right. Um, the Democratic Socialists of America reject an international economic order sustained by private uh, profit. Uh, they all pretty much uh, do. They're, they are talking about giant government controls on just about everything. So you took the people that they endorsed and you looked at it and what did you find? So we tracked 266 races across the country. Uh, my colleague and I, Chris Talgo at Heartland, we spent a tremendous amount of time pouring over the data and making sure that we got this right. Out of the 266 races, um, there were 200 legislative state legislative seats that we tracked, 60 U.S. House races and six U.S. Senate races. And what we found was that, in, 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 it's just absolutely astounding, 90%, actually slightly more than 90%, of all of these races were won by the socialist far left progressive candidate. 90%. It's absolutely shocking. Um, and when you take those numbers and you compare it to what we found in 2018, when we did this exact same analysis, uh, there were only 80, between 80 and 90 races that were uh, candidates that were endorsed by these same groups. And the, those candidates in 2018, only 40% of them were successful. And at the time, I thought that was incredible. But then they went from 40% in 2018 to 90% success rate just two years later. Jeez. And they had many more candidates, 200 more candidates, essentially. So, so this, is, this is just absolutely astounding. So how many of them are open and how many are uh, closeted, if you will? Oh, I think that they're all open. <laughs> I think that that's how I think that's the only way you can be endorsed. Um, and to give you some sense of who these people are, because remember, a lot of these people, 200 of them are state legislative uh, candidates. So not a lot of people know about them. Uh, there's this person, Taylor Small, who's a state rep in, in Vermont. Um, the, is, this person is the first openly transgender legislator in Vermont to be elected. They um, support having a universal health care uh, for, for the state of Vermont. They support housing as a human right, um, ending the ability for, for landlords to evict people who refuse to pay their rent. Um, obviously, your standard increasing the minimum wage and all of that stuff, but also banning all fossil fuel infrastructure which I think is gas stations and I don't know, roads. Is that, does that qualify? I'm not really sure. Defunding the police, 
Uh, it goes on and on and on. This is, this is a snapshot, I think, of what your average candidate that's in this list is like. And then all of the famous people that you think of as well, Rashida Tlaib, Ilan Omar, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, they're all on this list in addition to these state legislative races. What amazes me is I looked at all the states and the one that is overwhelming, especially for size, you know, California has a lot of people, but, um, and you expect it from California, Connecticut has, I don't even know, 40 of these people and only one lost it. I mean, is I mean, I've always known that Connecticut was, you know, big government, uh, but but not Marxist socialist. What, what's happening in Connecticut? Right. I think what Connecticut shows very clearly is the strategy for the far left is working incredibly well. And, and what I mean by that is this. In destroy a destroy a state and win elections <laughs> <laughs> well well sort of but i actually think that if you look at what happened in 2018 only 40 percent of the candidates were successful now 90 percent of the candidates are successful and they actually ran candidates in fewer states this time around than they did last time even though they have way more candidates so what that tells you is is that they went out of their way to target districts that they knew the Democrat would win no matter what. And if you look at the average, not just margin of victory, but the average result, the average result is that, that candidates, these socialist candidates that were endorsed by these various groups, won by more than 20 percentage points in every one of these races. Wow. So that means that they targeted districts that they knew, no matter who the candidate was, as long as they had a D next to their name, they were going to win. And so I think Connecticut is actually a perfect illustration of this strategy because Connecticut is your traditionally establishment Democrat state, longtime establishment Democrats that have been there forever. And what they did was they targeted those establishment candidates. They kicked them out. They put socialists, they primaried them out. They put socialist candidates in and then they won because the person going to the voting booth on election day, they don't know who their state rep is going to be. They don't care. They vote for the Democrat. And that's why they were so successful, I think. And, and if they take the strategy and they apply it all throughout the country, they are going to absolutely take over the Democratic Party. I think it's already starting to happen. And this shows it. So you have 11 of uh, 15 ran in Texas. 11 won. 11. That's right. In Texas. That's right. Right. And I think it's the same strategy, right? It's it's. You find the districts in Texas that are going to vote for Democrats no matter what. You kick out those more establishment longtime candidates or, or, or incumbents in many cases. And then you put the far left people in, the, in, in those places. And if you actually go to the Our Revolution website, they explain that this is the strategy. They're not hiding it. They call it um, uh, stacking the bench. They call it filling out the bench. Uh, and by bench, they mean these state legislative races and local elections, city council, county races, those kinds of things. This is the future of the Democratic Party. They know that. The vast majority of people in Congress right now were once a state lawmaker. Most people don't realize that, but yeah. it's true. And so if you can get these radicals, fill out the bench at the state level and local level, have, those are going to be your congressmen. That's your, fi- that's your farm years. team. That's right. Uh, all right, Justin, I, I want to ask you one more thing on socialists, and then I want to take a break and come back about the Great Reset. Um, but on 
the the socialists, I mean, they're moving forward globally with this Green New Deal. The UK just said no gasoline, no diesel. Uh, none of those cars are to be sold by 2030. That's nine years from now. Yeah, and, and, and this is a huge part of what the um, what the socialist movement is is embracing, but also it's part of their strategy here in the United States, all over the world, to take over the energy industry and to use climate change as the excuse for not just taking over the energy energy industry, but taking over virtually everything. And you're gonna, you know, we'll talk about that with the Great Reset, but that's what the Great Reset. That's one of the core. Uh, arguments for the Great Reset from the people who are pushing is that we have to radically transform society in order to save us from global warming. Can you can you stop all? I mean, California is doing this as well. At the same time, they're beating up on Elon, uh, Elon Musk. I mean, you need another product if you're nine years away from banning diesel and uh, and gasoline engines. Yeah, well, well, of course, look, there is absolutely no logical, scientific way that you can do what they're calling for doing. You can't transition the United States away from fossil fuels in 10 years. It is literally impossible. Nine. It is not possible. Nine. Right, sorry. Nine nine, years. Nine years, that's right. (laughs) It's not possible. There's no way to do it. But they don't care because it isn't really about transitioning the United States away from fossil fuels. The goal is really to take over as much of the economy as you possibly can. And we'll figure out the details later on. That doesn't really matter. That's the real goal here. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. So there's a new book coming out. It is released next week, but it's available for pre-order now. If you're looking for a gift to give somebody who thinks like us, um, a favorite family member gift or even a gift for yourself uh, for Christmas, this is it. It is a really good. uh, I can't speak from uh, current experience, experience. I can speak for past experience. You are telling the truth when it comes to how the media and how our information is getting to us uh, in a way that nobody else either cares or has the courage to do. Uh, And I can't thank you enough for that. Uh, The name of the book is Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. And I want to stop there. The news media taught us to love censorship well, if you, it's quite brilliant if you think about it. I started tracing this in The Smear, the last book, and I finish in this one. But in 2016, prior to 2016, it may be hard to remember, there was no movement or public sentiment saying, please curate our information and fact check it and censor it and tell us what to think. This was unheard of. And as I said, this was started with a speech President Obama gave at Carnegie Mellon in 2016 that suggested, and I remember hearing it thinking, what? That suggested somebody needed to step step in and curate our information on the internet in this wild, wild west media environment. And I'm thinking, well, nobody has ever asked for that. And pretty soon, David Brock of Media Matters took credit Mm. for convincing Facebook to do the first, what I call, fake fact checks of information. 
to try to shape public opinion. And it took off from there, but they had to convince us that we wanted it. They had to create a market for it. They couldn't just force it down our throat. So there was a lot of propaganda to insist that all of this fake news, which was a liberal invention before Donald Trump took it over, but that we were all being victimized by fake news and that someone needed to step in and and help us out and make sure we didn't see certain studies and opinions and viewpoints. But again, this is a relatively new phenomenon. And I, I don't think your listeners literally love censorship, No, but they have convinced us as a population to sort of embrace and tolerate these, you know, fact checks and whatever you want to call them, the curating, the media literacy efforts and so on, which I think are extremely dangerous. You know, if they if they believed I I mean, I always come back to Thomas Jefferson. He said, trust the American people. Uh, They'll most likely get it wrong from time to time, but they will figure it out in the end and correct their mistakes. Uh, and I don't think anybody in power believes in the American people anymore. Uh, and so they they go and they censorship because we're too we're just too stupid to figure it out. I well, think may I, may, I dif- may I differ a bit? Yes. I think that they worry that we're not stupid. They worry that we're going to form the conclusion if we hear certain information that they don't want us to have and they can't let that happen. And I I saw that in, that you know, sentiment inside newsrooms where people were starting to censor certain stories because they didn't like the takeaway they thought people would have if they heard all the information, just the facts. So well, I think that's, that's even that's even more evil. And you, so you think that's the prevailing uh, attitude? Well, and I think that's why we're seeing the censorship in social media, and the Internet. It's not to protect us. It's not really to sort through what's Correct. false. It's Correct. to try to keep us from seeing fulsome information on things that certain political and corporate interests don't want us to see. So you have, we, we, if, if they believed in the free press and they thought, you know, some people may not want to see these things, you would just release your algorithm and allow us to adjust it. I don't want to see this. I don't want to see that. I, you know, that's, that's, that's the way you do it. What they're actually saying is, if you think about it, the people at, Twitter, the nameless, faceless people, for example, at Twitter and Facebook who censor information, who are in no position to be experts on any of these things that they are claiming to be, you know, expert over. What they're saying is they have the information. They want to be able to see it. They have seen it. They just don't want you to see it. And and that's the problem. They don't trust you to make the same sorts of decisions and judgments that they made because you might not make the right ones or the ones they want you to make. So... Cheryl, can you look into, I hate to ask you to do this, but can you look into the future? Because I can't tell you, I mean, I have members of my own family who said, say, you're freaking out about nothing. Nobody is going to be censoring. You're not going to be, you know, thrown down a rabbit hole. I, I believe there's a good shot that in a year or two, uh, if that, it would start with the pressure, just like they've learned with the uh, media matters, a pressure on our sponsors uh, to drive them all away. OK, as long as we have the audience, we're set for that because we have a subscription uh, service. Um, but they're going to just keep battling and battling and wearing us down. And if you have control of the FCC, you know, depending on how radical they want to get, they could shut voices down. 
do you Absolutely. see that coming? Yes. I mean, I see that we're already there in many respects. And Adam Carolla, the entertainer, spoke of this with me in a the last couple of weeks, you can see that segment at fullmeasure.news, the replay, but he's a Hollywood guy, stand-up comic and so on, who said he saw this cancel culture coming where people were going to be bullied and not. he saw a future where he wasn't going to be able to work in Hollywood in the traditional mm-hmm. sense because he speaks his mind and doesn't go along with the narratives. So he created this bubble. I mean, I think to some degree you've, you've done that or tried to do that where he's outside of the ability to be canceled. Like the mm-hmm. way he, he has his own, he owns his studio, he produces his own films. He doesn't rely on the platforms where he can be deplatformed and canceled. And, you know, people are looking more and more for ways to do that. That's why Rumble and Parler and these, you know, alternate tech platforms are, I think, increasing in popularity or at least interest. Well, we are, the Blaze, which I created for this time, I just found out yesterday, we are the largest subscription, right-leaning uh, subscription uh, company in the world, uh, which is shocking to me. Uh, but it has been as long as we have the audience. But the way these algorithms work, and the way they're they're starting to talk about you know lists and everything else. That'll freak people out. You, I mean, you're already on a list. If you're listening, you're already on a list. Um, right. uh, but the, the pressure that is going to come if these radicals actually take charge is terrifying. Well, you know, just I think people need to remember and take heart in the fact that as much as if you live inside the box, I call the Internet it's so controlled. The whole goal of some of the propagandists yes. is to make you believe you're an outlier when you're not yes. for holding certain views and thoughts. So keep heart that you aren't an outlier in a lot of these respects. I mean, I'm talking to your listeners and that tens of millions of people, if you look at the last election, probably have the same sense you do about these things. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be pretty hard, I think, to take tens of millions of people and cancel them or convince them, you know, that there's an alternate reality that exists online that's not really true. I think they they live outside the box and they see a lot more of what's going on. Can we spend a couple of minutes and just talk about the election? How is is Biden going to be the next president? Is, do you think there's enough there to uh, change the result or to question the result with real impact? Well, from what I've seen, um, and I have tried to do some deep diving into this in the past week or so when I can, um, I would say there is enough to question significant numbers of votes and how this occurred. Whether anything can be done about it, you know, I don't have a lot of faith and confidence regardless of the evidence because let's look at my, my own lawsuit against the government for spying. I have a whistleblower admitting it. I have forensic evidence. Yeah, it doesn't no. matter. Donald Trump may know or some of the people surrounding him may have evidence of, as they do, allegations, sworn affidavits, videos and so on. Credible claims of wrongdoing involving thousands of ballots. I don't know how you go back and write that, meaning R-I-G-H-T, make that right. I don't know how you get the people who are against you. And he's surrounded by people who aren't really Mm -hmm. on his side. Yep. You know, it requires them to go along. It would require some court to agree. It would require... Republicans in states to help him that may not want to help him. So 
you know, my skepticism lies in the fact that I think it's pretty clear we had widespread improprieties, let's say that, but as to whether anything can be done about it, you know, I think that's, that's sort of a long shot, sadly. Cheryl, thank you so much. Thank you for your continued uh, stand, uh, for your logic and your willingness to uh, look at all sides and just follow the track wherever it may lead. Thank you. Appreciate well, it. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. You bet. The name of the book is Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. She's actually going to be doing a podcast with me uh, shortly after uh, the holidays. Na, 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 na.